This is episode number 10 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. That is correct. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the brand new bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately, almost no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him, because after all, the liberal mainstream media has completely lost their mind. They can no longer be objective about him, if they ever could be. And the conservative now state-run media, as I refer to them, has been completely compromised and totally co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast, have most definitely not been co-opted. Hope that you have enjoyed the first nine episodes of the program. Please subscribe to, rate, review, and share this via social media. We have over 11,000 Twitter followers already at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. Uh, also, I want to make sure that uh, you checked out our interview, uh, our first interview with a conservative in uh, episode number nine. That was with Bill Crystal. Uh, that was a, a really good interview where the, uh, the longtime conservative commentator, who is uh, basically the leader of the Never Trump movement, uh, talked a lot about uh, where we're headed with all of this. And I took him to task a little bit about his plan to try to primary Donald Trump in the 2020 elections, which I believe is well-intentioned, but doomed to failure. Uh, that uh, it's, it's almost impossible to conceive of, of how it is that uh, anything could change to the point where Donald Trump would be vulnerable in a Republican primary, especially against an opponent that's not a celebrity. Correct. So, uh, but Bill Crystal is a true believer, and I, I give him credit for being optimistic and planning for the best case scenario, because if you don't plan and you get lucky, you know, then you can't take advantage of it. But make sure you check out that interview in episode number nine. We're doing another interview in episode number 10. And this interview might uh, substantively be even better because, you know, Bill Crystal, while he's outspoken, isn't as outspoken as our guest in this particular edition. That is Joe Walsh, a former Republican congressman who's now a nationally syndicated talk show host. And we will get to him shortly. You will not want to miss uh, what Joe Walsh has to say about the Trump presidency. Before we get to Joe, though, uh, I want to mention a few uh, recent news items. And one of the things that I have said uh, consistently since the beginning of the Trump presidency is that uh, the great danger, uh, one of the great dangers of the Trump presidency is the total desensitization of all of us <laughs> towards what would normally be huge news stories that now become commonplace because Donald Trump has created a situation where all of our expectations are way off, that we are literally desensitized, like our fingers have been hit with a hammer so much that we can't feel anything anymore. And I think that that's been very evident in the news stories of just the last few days. I mean, let's just take a look at some of the the headlines that have been making news just this week, which, by the way, it's important to point out, would probably feel to most people like a pretty slow news week when it comes to Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, last week, my gosh, when we were talking in episode eight of the Individual One podcast, we had his former personal lawyer testify for hours in front of the, uh, the uh, House Oversight Committee and call him a racist, a con man, and a cheat. We're better than that. Well, unfortunately, uh, Congressman Cummings, I'm not sure we really are. That's who we are. And that was, that was what, a two-day story? And I, I think I correctly, correctly predicted that that has mostly faded away, at least for now, although there may be ramifications legally in the future. Cohen, I believe, is, is testifying in closed session today again. But we've moved on to other things, and there's so many other things that would normally be bombshell stories. Like, for instance... Like, for instance, the idea that the president of the United States pressured his underlings, including his chief of staff, John Kelly, who, you know, General Kelly, a man of great esteem, you would think wouldn't be able to be pressured, pressured him into providing security clearances for his daughter and for his son-in-law, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Now, 
the bigger question I have, which has not been answered yet, is why couldn't Jared Kushner get a security clearance? Well, that's because in the essence of these security clearances is the issue of is there a situation where you are susceptible to blackmail, specifically by a foreign power? Well, there's all sorts of indications that Jared Kushner and his obviously his wife would be part of this would be vulnerable to blackmail. Of course, Donald Trump himself, as Kellyanne Conway's own husband, George Conway, has referenced, would never be able to get a security clearance. Donald Trump could never get a security clearance to work in the White House. Correct. It's, it wouldn't even be close. It, and yet he's the president of the United States. And of course, the, the most insane making part of this is, this is a guy who got elected saying he wanted to drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Remember that? Well, this is as swampy as it gets. It doesn't get swampier than getting security clearances over the objections of your intelligence agencies and and, and doing so by ordering uh, your chief of staff to make it happen over those objections. I mean, that's as swampy as it gets. It's just flat out ridiculous. And yet it will have no impact within his support in the Republican base. His support among Republicans in the most recent polling is about as high as it's ever been. And this is just one of many stories that are in this vein. Of course, this is all happening within the context of he is trying to usurp the Constitution by declaring a national emergency on our southern border so that he can build a wall that Congress wouldn't give him the money for. Even though he spent the first two years of his presidency not acting like this was an emergency, and when he had control of Congress, not making a deal to get money for that wall. You can't claim it's a national emergency when you were president with both houses of Congress for two years and you did nothing. And there's some now opposition uh, among Republicans. It's meager, but it might be enough to potentially block it, at least temporarily. Uh, But it should be universal. This is an incredibly dangerous precedent that Trump is setting here that ought to horrify all Constitution-loving and principled conservatives. But it doesn't, because they've all been cowed. They're all terrified. They're all terrified of the Trump cult. That's what it is. This cannot be said enough that the, the Trump cult is what is powering all of this, because the cult will do whatever Trump says. I love the poorly educated. And because they will do whatever he says... And because they're a large enough portion of the Republican Party, they scare the bejesus out of every single Republican representative and almost all the senators. There's a couple of senators, including bizarrely Rand Paul, who claims to be a a libertarian. Now, I consider myself to be largely libertarian, but Rand Paul, for almost the entire Trump presidency, has, has embraced this use of executive power because he's got to be a Trump fan because he's representing Kentucky, where Trump is very popular. But for some reason on this particular issue, and more power to him, I guess, he has decided to stand up and has declared that he will vote against Trump on this particular issue. And right now, Trump doesn't have the votes, and that will force him to do a series of machinations, which may end up getting this into the court system. We'll talk to Joe Walsh more about that in just a few minutes. But there are other things like, for instance, and this is classic Trump, very similar to, you know, I'm going to drain the swamp, but I'm going to end up being swampy as hell. There's a story in The Washington Post that Donald Trump, consistent with what Michael Cohen testified to last week, that he got somehow got his high school, the New York Military Academy, to spike his academic records. That it went to great lengths in a way that had never been done before at this high school to, to make sure that his, his academic records never came out. And he did this at exactly the same time where what was he doing with President Barack Obama? He was claiming, one, that Obama was born not in the United States, was not really eligible to be president. And he continually, along those lines, was championing this cause of, okay, where is Obama's academic records. Well, that's classic Trump. Classic Trump, because Trump, and there's genius in this. There's genius in what Trump does here, 
where he takes a, a known weakness. Now, let's be clear. In, a, in the rational world, the only reason why Trump would, would be fighting to make sure that his high school and other uh, institutions where he, he studied didn't release his records is because his grades sucked. Correct. I mean, that's the only explanation. That's the only way to look at this. No, no one who knows Trump would be surprised by that. All you need to understand is if he had good grades, if he had good grades, I can assure you that, a, that, that his academic record would be linked to at the official White House website at the top of the page, that he would be tweeting it on a consistent basis. But that has not happened because it's very obvious that he was a poor student probably a very poor student, but he, but he understands that the best way, and this is counterintuitive to people who are rational, but it works because most of the world is not rational, that if you have a weakness and you attack someone else for having that same weakness, somehow this works. It's, it's mind-blowing to me that it does, but it's clear that it does. So when you're going, if you have a weakness, when it comes to your academic records, you go after Obama on his academic records. You go after Hillary's emails because you're actually the national security risk, not her. You go after Hillary on collusion with Russia because you're the one whose campaign was actually helped by Russia. You say, lock her up constantly during the campaign because, frankly, you're the criminal who ought to be locked up. You say, drain the swamp because you are the swamp, that you're going to make the swamp swampier than it's ever dreamed of being in recent times if you become president. You say Mexico will pay for the wall, this big, beautiful wall, because you know there's never going to be a damn wall. You say that Robert Mueller is corrupt because you're corrupt. You say John McCain isn't a war hero because you're the one that dodged the Vietnam War. You say Ted Cruz is a liar because you're a pathological liar. You say you're super rich. You're pro-America. No one loves America more than you. Make America great again. And you're very religious. And you're pro-military. All because none of those things are actually true. You're not very rich. You're an atheist, an amoral atheist. You don't give a damn about America. And as I've already said, you're not pro-military because you actually dodged the draft and then mocked, mocked Vietnam by saying that having sex with lots of women was your personal Vietnam by avoiding venereal diseases. That's an actual quote from Donald Trump. And yet he gets the claim that no one's more pro-military than him. This is the way he works. And specifically with regard to this swamp situation, and we'll talk with Joe Walsh about this as well, another story that would be an enormous scandal in any other presidency. But it is now very clear that Donald Trump had took a position on AT&T's merger in order to hurt a news outlet, CNN, which is owned by AT&T and Time Warner, that whole, that whole merger situation, that to hurt CNN and to help his favorite news outlet, Fox News Channel. It is very clear. It makes perfect sense. And the reporting on this is as overwhelming evidence that he pressured Gary Cohn into doing this which Joe Walsh is going to tell us may in itself be an impeachable offense. And then we have T-Mobile executives just coincidentally suddenly spending lots of nights in the Trump D.C. hotel after the merger announcement, spending about $200,000 at a D.C. hotel that they had never used or hardly ever used before. Now, people think, well, would the president of the United States really be bought off for $200,000 in hotel receipts? Um, not normally, but this one might. I, I always go back to it's so incredibly important to understanding Trump's not that rich. So people don't have this, this understanding that to him, they think, oh, well, $200,000 at his hotel. What does he care? Actually, he does care. But you know what? Forget about the money. 
it's not just that it's the money is important to him far more than people realize because he's not worth ten billion dollars. I doubt he's even a billionaire. He's probably I don't know what exactly he is worth, but it's not nearly what he claims. But let's forget about let's forget about whether or not the money is enough to act as a bribe. The, there's one, there's the conflict of interest issue and the, and the principle of it, which used to matter. But there's also the ego stroke of it. It's almost like we're in a third world country where in order to do business with the president, you must stay in his hotel because it makes him feel good. Oh, so this is like a seal of approval. Oh, you've spent $200,000 at my hotel. Now you're going to get uh, preferential treatment on your merger. And if the Clintons had ever been accused of this stuff and no one had more disdain for the Clintons than me. My first documentary film was an anti-Clinton movie. I was a part of the anti-Hillary Clinton movie that became integral to the famous Citizens United Supreme Court case. My street cred on the Clintons is as good as it gets. But if the Clintons were accused of this stuff, the very same people who are who are the huge, the biggest Trump fans would be setting themselves on fire outside the White House, including, for instance, Sean Hannity of Fox News Channel. This is swampy, swampy stuff. And it, none of it makes any impact because Fox News Channel, of course, ignores it. And the cult thinks it's all fake news. Trump has done a brilliant job of inoculating himself from all negative news stories by saying it's all just fake news, fake news. Believe me. It's all just fake news. Well, it's not all fake news. And, and it is very clear that, uh, that Trump is running the most corrupt wh- uh, White House, and certainly in my lifetime, on numerous levels. And so much so now that the New York Times is reporting, that, and of course this will be fake news, but the New York Times is reporting that one of the primary motivations for Trump running for re-election is to avoid prosecution. That's what happens in a third world country, folks. In a third world country, who's ever in power tries to stay in power long enough so that they cannot be put in prison or executed. That's where we currently are. Because Trump knows that he has the protection of the White House, not just in the idea that a president cannot be indicted, which may or may not actually be true, but also politically, when you're president, you have an entire apparatus that's invested in protecting you. Republicans in the House and the Senate, uh, the administration itself, uh, and, and an entire media apparatus, the conservative media industrial complex, is all invested in protecting you. Trump can't give that up because he knows he's very vulnerable to criminal prosecution. That's not a proper reason to run for re-election. Now, as far as his re-election and potential impeachment, and frankly, that's really the focus of what this podcast is— we're focused on two things. Is he going to be impeached and how that turns out? And will he be reelected? Well, a new Gallup poll is out with some interesting information. Supposedly 59% of the public oppose his impeachment. But I don't know that that number is all that significant because I think a lot of people have been kind of trained into thinking about this in terms of wait till Mueller comes forward with his final conclusions. At that point, I, I, don't, I don't know what that number is, whether it's 10%, 20%, what have you. If Mueller's final conclusions are anywhere near as damning as a lot of people think that they will be, then I think that that number would shrink dramatically. I think that, that a lot of people are prone to giving the politically correct answer, which is it's not time yet. So I don't know how much significance to give the 59% opposing impeachment. But here's, and especially, I don't know how to give that much credibility given the rest of the polling in this Gallup uh, survey. Get this, 64% of the American people believe that Donald Trump committed crimes before he was in office. 64% believe he is a criminal. That's unbelievable. It's as um, The President of the United States, 64% believe he has committed crimes before taking office. 45% are already convinced before Mueller's final conclusions that he committed crimes while president. 45%. It's just flat out ridiculous. 45%. And then, and then further backing this concept up, they asked, who do you believe? Michael Cohen? Or do you believe Donald Trump? And 
unbelievably, unbelievably, Michael Cohen was believed by a 50 to 35 margin. In other words, 50% of the people believe that Michael Cohen, his former personal attorney, who is going to prison for numerous crimes, including lying to Congress, is more credible, more believable than Donald Trump. We're better than that. I mean, <laughs> now that's that's that is amazing. When when you lose a credibility contest with a a known criminal. <laughs> who's a liar, who's an admitted perjurer, who's going to prison uh, by 15 points, that is amazing. That is That has impact. And not surprisingly, they asked the question, do you believe that Donald Trump is honest? 30% of the American people, an all-time low for this Gallup survey, 30% believe that Trump is an honest person. 65% say no. I'm curious about the other 5%. I'm always <laughs> amazed. So what are the other 5% thinking? They're not sure? <laughs> How are you not sure whether or not Donald Trump is an honest person or not? But only 30%. And that might be a pretty good uh, number to be able to gauge the cult. There's different levels of the cult, but the hardcore cult, that's probably... 30% at most of the country, because 30% in this Gallup poll, which in, in other ways is somewhat positive towards Trump, only 30% describe him as honest. And that to me is, you know, that's the biggest part of this whole thing. There's so many elements of this that are bothersome and troubling and dangerous. But Donald Trump being a pathological liar is, is the deal breaker for me as a truth guy. I mean, that that's, to me is kind of like, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? When people tell me, oh, Trump's done great things, judges, tax cuts, what have you, uh, fine. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Because when you are a pathological liar who has devalued the truth and made lying perfectly acceptable, not just a little bit of lying, but pathological lying, that you have effectively made truth go from the gold standard to having the value of tin, and unfortunately, Trump didn't do this alone. Bill Clinton played a big role in this. But so truth wasn't gold when Trump began. But now it's essentially worthless. Truth means nothing. Lies mean nothing. Words mean nothing. That, to me, as a president, it's almost impossible to overcome. He could, he could cure cancer and I'd still have a problem with, uh, with, with that level of lying. And most of the American people seem to agree with me. He's being propped up right now with good marks, over 50% approval on the economy in general and unemployment in particular, which I'm not sure he's had much of anything to do with. In fact, you could argue that this has happened despite his, his failed um, tariff attempt, which new numbers are out saying that our trade deficit has actually increased under Trump. Of course, the cult will either not know about that or come up with some bizarre rationalization for why that is in complete contradiction to Trump's entire philosophy on trade. I love the poorly educated. All right. With all that said, uh, I wanted to make sure that we uh, have set the table now for our really great guest, uh, one of uh, my uh, friends in the uh, conservative media that I still have. I don't have many left, but 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 this guest is one of them. Uh, he is uh, Joe Walsh. He is a, a former Republican congressman from Illinois, and he is uh, also a very, very conservative, nationally syndicated talk show host, and he joins us now. Joe, welcome to the Individual One podcast. It's always good to be with you, John Ziegler. Well, uh, same with you, buddy. And there's so much to talk about. The last time I interviewed you was just before the November elections, and you correctly predicted having been a former member of Congress and, and having your finger on the pulse of what was happening within the Republican caucus, that Republicans were going to lose control of the House, and they did in a very, very big way. I believed at that time that if that was, in fact, what occurred, and I agreed with you, that that would have at least some negative impact on the perception of Donald Trump by Republicans but it is clearly not. And in fact, it seemingly has had almost zero impact. And in some ways, his approval rating, despite numerous other things that have occurred since, has actually improved, especially among Republicans. Have you been surprised that the loss in the November elections has seemingly had no negative impact on the perception of Donald Trump by Republicans? 
Uh, I, I guess not really, John. Look, you and I know the truth. Uh, the Republicans lost the House because of Trump, plain and simple. Yet the average Trump supporter out there refuses to acknowledge it. I, I broadcast from the state of Illinois. I'm on all over the country. Illinois, it, the suburbs, whoever wins the suburbs of Chicago wins Illinois. And every Republican running for any office in November in the suburbs lost. And they lost because of Trump, uh, because suburban women and suburban men who ordinarily vote Republican can't stand him. Yet the average Trump supporter out there wants to blame everybody else but Trump. That's still where they are. I agree with that, but I guess I thought that there would be at least, uh, you know, I, I look at Trump's support as having different layers of what I refer to be a cult. And, and, and not all of the support is a full-on cult. A lot of it is just, look, we, we really are afraid of Democrats, and he's, he's the guy we have right now, so we've got to stick with him. I, I, and I thought that some of that softer support would look at the November loss and go, uh-oh, uh, this is where we're headed here. We've now... We've been now uh, been annihilated in places in the country that you referred to that are going to make it very, very difficult in the future. Why do you think that hasn't happened? Well, I think, and again, to me, uh, the election is, to the average Trump supporter, it's much more us against them. Where I, on the radio, am beginning to hear Trump support ease a little bit, John, is when it comes to the issues like this whole bull crap that is the declaration of a national emergency. When this issue first came up, John, the average listener of mine, big Trump supporter, was angry at me because I opposed the declaration. But the last, as this thing's gone on, I've sensed more resignation, like, okay, it's not the right thing to do, but we got to fight. So I see, I do see an easing of support for him a little bit when it comes to these issues. I really do. Well, I want to talk to you about the national emergency in a moment because of your experience in Congress and, and, and where you think that's going to head. But but just a couple more things on, on the election itself, because yeah. I, I live, you live in, in Illinois, I live in California. And obviously, California, the Republican Party has just been annihilated now. Now, it was been, it's yep. been bad for a long time. But, uh, you know, effectively, the floor has been removed now. We're, we're, we're almost, you know, to, in, the yeah. ba- in the basement. And I, get, I don't think that Republicans understand nationally how incredibly detrimental that is. Talk about, or assuming you agree with me, or if you, if you don't, tell me. But in my view, now that, the, that there is an, an intrinsic, systematic deficit of of Republican congressmen coming out of California, that every single midterm election, especially if you add in New York, when you add in New York and California uh, to this equation that are now unreachable seats, because let's, it's also important to point out here in California, it's very, very, very difficult to become a large enough known quality, especially as a Republican, to yeah. to run as as a Republican and win, especially given the unique uh, circumstances of California politics. So what I'm saying is I don't see how this gets reversed. And with that intrinsic systematic deficit, how do Republicans ever regain the majority in the House of Representatives? Uh, John, I don't know that they will. And uh, I, I think Trump, it's the party of Trump now, the Republican Party is, and this will do lasting damage. You're right about California, man. I, I mean, I, Illinois has gone the way of California. John, after 2020, we may not have a Republican member of Congress here in, in Illinois at all. New York's that way. I think a lot of people don't realize how precarious the state of Texas is becoming for um, Republicans. What was it, like 10 million more people in the midterm voted Democrat than Republicans? John, in our lifetime, I don't think you and I will ever, right? We'll never see a Republican for president carry the popular vote. Again, I think this is where we're at. The Democrats own the cities. Republicans own rural America. And you, you typically you fight over the suburbs. Donald Trump is death in the suburbs. That's not going to change. It's certainly not going to change in 2020. I think Trump's going to lose badly in 2020. But this lasting impact of losing suburban voters 
is going to hurt the party for a while. It's just amazing to me that so few people seem to understand this. And this has always been my argument against Trump, which which is, look, I got young kids. I, I'm uh, you know, I'm getting old, but I'm I'm expected to be around yeah. for a little while. I care about what's going to happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Uh, and yes, it's fun in the short run to see liberals you know, cry uh, um, and uh, and to get owned uh, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, I guess. But I, I liken it to a drug party where, you know, it's fun yeah. in the short run, but in the long run, you're going to pay a price. Is that a fair analysis? Well, and listen, you and, I, you and I are good friends and we're brothers on a lot of this stuff. And you actually, you might have been right, John, when you and I first talked a, a year or two ago that, and I heard you and Bill Crystal talk that it might have been better for conservatism if Hillary had won. I, 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 I'm still not there, but I, I get that. I understand that argument now uh, because and, and I, I guess I agree with a lot of it because I just do believe, John, that this next year and a half, if Trump can can even stay in office, I think I think 2020 is going to be worse than 2018 for Republicans. I really do. Well, if you look at it uh, historically, uh, Democrats have done far better in presidential elections because yes. turnout is higher. I mean, that's part of what the, the, the Trump uh, fan blind spot is. They think that, oh, well, we didn't do that badly in the midterm elections because, we, yeah, we lost the House, but we actually gained two seats in the Senate. And what they fail to yeah. understand is that midterms in recent history, with only one exception, 2006, which was a perfect storm, uh, because of the Iraq War, w- with one exception, midterms have been dominated by Republicans, and the geographical yep. map on the Senate side was the best it had ever been, maybe yeah. in history, uh, for Republicans, and they only pick up two seats. And to your point, that map in 2020 is dreadful because yeah. because all those you, know, we, you just go back six years. You know, all you have to do is go back six years, and what happened six years prior? in 2014 was Democrats got crushed. So, you know, you, you just, I, mean, it, I guess part of my frustration here, Joe, is I don't think that a lot of people who, you know, you and I have, have thought of as our people understand the rules of the game. They don't understand the basics of the way this system works. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, no, no, John, that's absolutely fair. Again, and I will say this until the cows come home. The American people are stupid, not just Republicans. We've grown fat, lazy, and stupid. We don't understand our politics. We don't understand history. We don't understand civics. Yeah, that's a problem for both sides. My former colleagues in Congress, Republican members of the House, they do understand it all. And, and again, John, I tell you this, and I know you agree with you believe me, uh, that the Freedom Caucus members, all of my former buddies there in the House, the conservatives, they really do think of Donald Trump just like you and I do. I, I'm telling you that. They will never say it publicly, and they won't address these long-term concerns that you have because all they're looking at is their next election right in front of their nose. And that's so important to point out that there is a massive 180-degree difference between Republicans in Congress publicly and what they say privately to their friends yeah. like like you and you've been yeah. cons- you've been consistent about that from from, from uh, day one and, I, and let's take that out of the theoretical and put it into the practical uh, and and, and this this will get us back a little bit closer to the uh, the uh, emergency on the border issue you, you mentioned that you're coming close to the idea that if Hillary had won it would have been better for conservatism in the long run part of that equation is you know your buddies especially in the freedom caucus if Hillary was president they would have still been acting on their principles right they would have yes. been I mean they would they would be they would be fighting against big spending and executive power and, and instead of embracing it. Is that not accurate? Hey, John, here's all you need to know. If this vote on the national emergency was a private vote, i.e., if members of the House and members of the Senate didn't have their name attached to their vote, every Republican in the House and every Republican in the Senate would oppose the national emergency declaration. Every single one. Now, how pathetic is that? Think about that. It is pathetic. I mean, and but let's let's explain why that is. 
as a, as a former congressman who knows these Republicans, a lot of them who are still there, who are, you know, most of them are principally supposed to be conservatives. And this goes against all concepts of conservatism and check on yeah. executive power and, and the role of Congress. Philosophically, I, I agree with you 100 percent. But explain to people why it is that they can't or at least they feel like they can't vote their conscience publicly. Why is that, Joe? Because they want and I'll, I'll, I'll dumb it down for me because they want to get reelected. 85 to 87 percent of the Republican base out there supports the president. Something like 70 some percent of the base supports a national emergency on our border. So these guys, these members who want to get reelected, they look at those numbers and they say, oh, my God, publicly, I can't oppose this president. I have to do what he says. So uh, so they're afraid to, to put this into the practical. They're afraid that if they vote against the president on this national emergency on our border, where, where Donald Trump, to be clear, wants to go around Congress to, to find money uh, to, to pay for his border wall that he promised a thousand times during the 2016 election. They can't do it because they feel as if if they go against Trump, that come the 2020 elections, they will be primaried by another Republican and that they will lose, especially if Trump tweets about them. Is that is that essentially what we're talking about? John, exactly. They're worried about another Republican them then primarying them because they're not pro-Trump enough. And then they're worried about then Donald Trump coming in and supporting their primary opponent. Uh, again, John, I was, a, I was a congressman from the state of Illinois. I am probably the most conservative former congressman in this state. Before Donald Trump, if I wanted to run in an election here in Illinois and go back to Washington, Washington nobody would have challenged me in a primary because nobody's more conservative. But now think about this. Because I don't like or support Donald Trump, I couldn't even win a Republican primary uh, to go back to Congress. Uh, I, I couldn't even win because I don't support the president. Because that's not where Republican voters are. Because it's really just a one-issue situation now. Are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump, right? Which, which, John, is so weird because before Trump it was, are you a conservative or are you a squishy rhino establishment Republican. That was the dividing line. Right. Now the dividing line is, where are you on Trump? And I'll get people who call into my radio show, and they'll call, they'll call me a rhino when, when I don't know of anybody else on the radio who's as conservative as I am. It's crazy. Well, I get that, too, which is hilarious, yeah. because I'm, I'm right in that same boat. About, look, I'm far more conservative than Donald Trump is on, on, yeah. on almost every issue. Uh, and yet that's but but see, that's where the danger comes in. That's why I call it a cult, because we're now talking about not about issues, not about principles. We're talking about how you stand on one man. And it's a one man yeah. party. And, uh, and, and you know, Trump likes to brag. There was a poll out, I guess, just yesterday that says he has 93 percent support among Republicans. And I'm like, well, of course he does, because that's the definition of a Republican today. Are you pro-Trump? Why is it only 93 percent? It should be it should be 100 percent. And then, of course, it yeah. also what scares me, though, Joe, and this goes back to our prior conversation about the future. What happens when Trump is is no longer president? At, what, at that point, what do you what do you think occurs? I'm, what, where, I mean, I, this is the the sixty four thousand dollar question. But where does Joe Walsh stand on what happens when Trump is off the stage? John, that's a great question that I've been asked a bunch, and I confess I don't have an answer. I, I, I wish I did. I, I partly believe, and again, this goes back. I I think to how. Um, uninformed the American people have gotten. I think if Trump walked off the stage tomorrow, within a month, uh, everything would go back to where it was before Trump. Now, there'd be, a lot of Repu there'd be a lot of people out there who would, like, check out and not vote, and the Republican Party would have to do a little bit of damage control. But I think if Trump were gone, you'd see these Republicans in Congress act like he was never there. All of a sudden, they'd, they'd grow a pair of testicles again. And I don't know. I, I think I think things regrettably would get right back to where they were before Trump, because don't forget, John, the only reason Trump got elected 
is because the American people uh, are, had gotten so sick of both political parties, right. our entire mm. political system, the media, everything, and so they grabbed this horrible human being and said, you go fix it, shake things up. Um, I think we might go right back to that place. Obviously, it would it would depend on the circumstances. I mean, obviously, I also don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you think that's going to happen either. He's not going to be removed for the reasons we've already discussed. Republicans don't have the balls. He's never going to resign. But let's just take this as a theoretical question for a second. Here's where I would disagree with you, Joe. If if Trump were to exit the stage, he's already uh, paved the path now to where. The Republican base has shown that's what they want. Therefore, there would be some incredibly uh, uh, powerful people in Congress and, and those running to replace him who would try to duplicate that because they would know there would be an audience for that. See, see, I think I, I don't think you can go back. I, I don't well, think. But, you- but here's the here's the funny thing, John. I don't think the average again, the average voter out there who voted for Trump. I don't really believe they voted for him based on any issues. You're right. It's a cult thing. He's going to drain the swamp. He's, he's uh, going to shake things up. There was no issue. I mean, look at this wall. I wanted the wall, and you and I disagree on the wall. I want a wall no, a hell of a lot more I, than I, Trump does. I'm like Ann Coulter on the wall. But the average Trump supporter cares more about Trump than they do the wall. Just to be clear on the wall, I, I would be happy with the wall, but not at this price. I, 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 yeah. I mean, the price that we're being forced to pay here, not just monetarily, but from a uh, principal standpoint, my great fear is if this uh, emergency goes through, then once Trump is gone and Democrats control both houses of Congress, look out. I mean, it's over. I mean, they, they, they yeah. can do whatever they want based upon that precedent. So let's go back to to that issue. Where, where do you see this going? The House has passed. Their uh, resolution against the uh, the national yeah. emergency. The Senate appears to have the votes to also vote against it. But Mitch McConnell, of course, is is a master at manipulating these situations. Supposedly, this will go. This will there'll be a veto uh, uh, by Trump. But where where does Joe Walsh see this going? I just and, and you're right, John. And then and then Trump will override the veto, and it'll go right to the courts. And I guess maybe I'm naive. But I just cannot believe that at the end of the day, the courts will not say uh, that, that we live in a country where when the president doesn't get the money he wants for something, he can just grab it himself. So I believe the courts will rule against Trump's declaration of an emergency. Um, and, and so nothing will happen then. And Donald Trump will go in front of the American people next year and say, I tried, I tried, I tried, but the courts ruled against me. I'm curious, do you know, do you believe that that's what Trump thinks is going to happen, that this is all about creating the perception of a fight for his base when he really doesn't have any expectation of really winning? Do you believe that's what's going on? uh, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about the wall. Right. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about the border. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about abortion, life, anything. All Donald Trump cares about is Donald Trump. So, yes. He got himself into this corner where he shut down the government. He had no other way out. He was told, you've got to declare a national emergency. It probably will not succeed, but you will be able to show your voters that you were doing whatever you can do for the wall. So, yeah, it was his only escape hatch. Now, uh, let's talk again about some of your former colleagues in the Republican caucus in the House, because uh, last week there was a spectacle among all spectacles where uh, Michael Cohen testified to the House Oversight Committee. And, uh, and, and I know that a guy who you really like and I have defended and you, I've been yeah. on your show defending, Jim Jordan, uh, attacked Michael Cohen. And look, I'm all for uh, vigorous questioning and Michael Cohen deserves to be attacked on a lot of things. But uh, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio uh, and others on that committee, I thought, in my opinion, uh, embarrassed themselves by the, the, the lengths to which they were willing to go to completely pretend as if uh, nothing that Cohen said about Trump was credible. 
and, and that somehow lying, this is my favorite part, that somehow lying in the past makes you totally without credibility yeah. because obviously Donald Trump lies every single day. What did, what did you make of the behavior you saw uh, during that uh, committee hearing? Uh, John, you're spot on. I agree with you. It was so disappointing. I, I think the world of Jim Jordan, uh, Mark Meadows, all those guys, it was so disappointing. They made up their mind that all they could do was attack Cohen. And what's really interesting, John, during that whole day-long testimony, there was not one Republican that said one word defending Donald Trump about anything. Anything. And, and let's remember, the things that Michael Cohen is being accused of lying about, Donald Trump lied, lied about. They've lied about the same thing. It's you, I've heard you talk about this, John Ziegler. Um, you, you, Trump corrupts people. And, and Michael Cohen even said that last week, that I learned, man, I, I was intoxicated by the world of Trump, and I got burned by the world of Trump, because at the end of the day, Trump doesn't care about anybody. And, and Michael Cohen said, you Republicans up here, this is going to happen to you, too. But again, they don't get that, and all they want to do is get reelected. How much do you think Jordan's defense of Trump was because Trump had come to his defense when he was unfairly accused of taking part in some bizarre uh, uh, cover-up of uh, sex abuse allegations as a wrestler at Ohio State? Do you think that that was, a, in some sense, a quid pro quo there? I don't think it was a quid pro quo. I think that helped. Um, and I can tell you that, again, I know Jim Jordan well. Uh, I, I, I can believe that Jim Jordan believes a lot of what you and I believe about Donald Trump. Uh, but I will say a guy like Jim Jordan says we are in a fight. I know the Democrats, CNN, all of them are bad, AOC, all socialists, blah, blah, blah. So I got to be on my side of the fight, even if I don't love my general. Elijah Cummings, the, the chairman of that committee, uh, finished that bizarre day. Uh, with a very dramatic statement, which was highlighted by him saying, We're better than that. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you agree? Are we better than that? No. <laughs> only because, John, only because, look, I, we get the government we deserve. Trump is an ass. He's a bad, horrible human being. But this country elected him president. We deserve it. The American people deserve it. Right now, we don't deserve better. Because it goes back to what you and I said five or ten minutes ago. The American people don't know their politics anymore. They don't know their history. They don't know their civics. And so you naturally then put a guy in the White House who doesn't know our history, our politics, and our civics. We deserve, we deserve what we get right now. And it's, it's an absolute mess. But this is what happens when you elect somebody like a Donald Trump. We're better than that. I couldn't agree more, Joe. That was, that was incredibly well said. All right, a couple more things before we wrap up here. Uh, obviously, there's there's been this, I believe, over-anticipation of the conclusion of uh, the Mueller investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election and the so-called uh, yeah. Mueller report. Uh, I, I am currently in, in the camp of that his conclusions, whatever we find out about them, and I'm not sure we're going to find out, at least immediately, about all of them, uh, that they're going to be horrible in a normal world. In a normal world, they would be devastating to any other president. Um, but that to Donald Trump, because there's been so much focus on, quote-unquote, collusion with Russia, and, and by the way, that might be a part of his strategy. It might be him actually being pretty smart, that the expectations for what Mueller is going to come up with are so out of control, so unrealistic, that I believe Trump has set himself up either by being smart or being lucky or a little bit of both. He has set himself up for essentially winning the expectations game once the Mueller thing is finally concluded. Uh, where do you stand on that? I think you're right. I think they have won the expectations game. I also think that Trump and his team have done a great job of maligning Robert Mueller, a true American hero. And so his Fox News supporters, Trump Fox News supporters, are not going to believe anything Robert Mueller says. So I'm generally with you on all of that. But I've, I've changed a little in the last couple of weeks because I've listened to smart people on the television and I've read some smart people who 
expect Mueller, when he drops this final report, they expect him to drop it with his final round of indictment, uh, perhaps family members or people even closer to the president, and it'll be like a big bang, and it will allege potential conspiracy against the United States. So I, I don't know that there, there, there may be something there. Well, I, I, I want to make clear, I think that we know, we already know. This has, what's so frustrating is we already know things that, in my opinion, are impeachable offenses. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I believe, by the way, that and we've learned more about this in just the last couple of days. I believe that Donald Trump is in constant violation of the Emoluments Clause, which, yes. uh, which, which, by the way, explain to people what that is. Well, he's, <laughs> he's president of the United States, and he's actually uh, enriching himself off of doing business with foreign countries, foreign entities, and foreign governments. You can't do that. Right. And he, and he does it on a daily basis. And, and, there's, and there's evidence that, that people are either directly or indirectly acting as if they're uh, bribing him by staying at his D.C. hotel uh, yeah. you know, uh, in, when they have business in front of uh, the, the president or the federal government, uh, specifically the AT&T merger. I mean, yep. it's 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 it, but that's and that's barely ever talked about. I, here's my question for you, Joe, as a member of Congress. And let's pretend you were still in Congress as a Republican. And let's pretend that what we already know, like, like we already know, like the Russian Moscow Tower situation and the firing of Comey and all sorts of elements of potential obstruction of justice. And, uh, and, 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 and just presume that Mueller doesn't exo- somehow exonerate Trump on any of the stuff that we think pretty well that we know. Would Joe Walsh vote to impeach Donald Trump based upon what we currently believe we know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, John. If I were still in Congress, I'd by far be the, the least popular Republican in the House. Because everything I'm, I, I say on the radio against Trump, I would say in Congress. I agree with you. And and by the way, you haven't even mentioned uh, this potential uh, report that he pressured uh, his uh, Gary Cohn. What was Gary Cohn, his economic advisor, to to demand that he tell the Justice Department to stop the merger only to screw with CNN? That, that, That would be impeachable. So, yes, there's plenty there. But I go back to this, John. Worse, if Bob Mueller has no collusion or conspiracy or anything, at a minimum, this report is going to dirty Donald Trump up even more. And if the Democrats were smart, they don't need to impeach him, just beat him next year. See, I disagree with you on that, Joe. And by the way, you didn't give me an answer whether or not you would you would vote to impeach. Can I get an answer on that based upon? Based, based on everything we know publicly right now, yes. Okay, that thank you. For, I, I knew you'd give me a straight answer on that, but just, let me just take you up on the you know Democrats don't need to impeach him, and I've had a conversation uh, that uh, got a little bit of uh, media play with my good friend Congressman John Yarmuth, a Democrat from Louisville, Kentucky, who was against. He was in your boat as far as you yeah. know, let's not bother with impeachment, and he has said publicly that I convinced him otherwise, on uh, based upon this argument, if Donald Trump is not at least impeached, not removed impeached uh, by based on what we currently believe we know, then how does anyone in the future ever get impeached? Are you not forever rendering impeachment null and void? That, that, that this is something that is irrelevant going forward. And are you not creating a situation where a far more dangerous, see, I, I view Trump mostly as a buffoon, but he's creating yeah. all sorts of very dangerous precedents for someone who might not be a buffoon in the future, who might be able to drive a Mack truck through those precedents. And if, if you don't impeach Trump, are you not disarming yourself against that true, real potential tyrant of the future when he can use, hey, well, look, Trump did this, this and this. You didn't impeach him. You can't come after me either. That's, to me, the reason why you impeach. That and and the historical record, the market, it absolutely had an impact on Bill Clinton. It may have it may have prevented Hillary from being president. The impeachment of Bill Clinton. It has value. It has historical significance, even if it doesn't result in removal. Where do you what do you make of that argument? Uh, It's 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 a powerful argument. 
Um, and uh, again, look, I think we uh, already on the public record there there's enough and and worse than Bill Clinton. Um, and I get that. I, I, I guess my, my answer was just more politically. If you're a Democrat, right. will will it hurt the Democrats if they're seen as being too aggressive? But, yeah, look, it, 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 everything's been dumbed down. <laughs> and if we allow, in essence, your argument, if we allow this sort of behavior to get to, to get away with it as a president, what, what will come next? I hey, hear that. Exactly. All right, last question for you, Joe. You, for some reason, have— shown an incredible amount of courage uh, when it comes to standing up against Trump. And, and there, let's be clear, there's some things that you like about Trump, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. I, I have no problem you know, saying that when, when Trump does something right, if only by accident, that he, exactly. should, that he should be praised. But why is it that you are, are the person within the conservative media, within conservative talk radio, who has been able to do that when no one else has, to, really, to my knowledge, and and uh, what kind of uh, and has that been difficult? Has that been difficult uh, speaking your your truth against Trump as a member of the uh, the conservative talk radio community? Um, it, it, John, you know, because you and I have talked plenty. It's been very difficult. I cannot believe at times that I still have a nationally syndicated radio show um, because this is not what most of my audience wants to hear. Um, why have I been able to do it? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I went to Congress and I was one of the most outspoken Tea Party conservatives. So before I started on the radio, I like had this background as a real hardcore conservative. Um, so maybe maybe that's given me just a little bit of a cushion. But John, every day is a struggle. I mean, I, I bring up an issue like this on the radio. Nine out of every ten of my callers are people who will say, Joe, you're crazy. Joe, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I know I've lost conservative listening. Uh, I know I think I've picked up some, and I think I've picked up some independents. But you know the deal. You, There's a reason why Hannity's number one, because he uh, he, he, he wipes Trump's brow every day. <laughs> and that's where the ratings are, and I can't do that. Well, Joe, uh, God bless you. I mean, even if there isn't a God, I hope God blesses you because I mean, <laughs> you too, John. <laughs> because no, seriously, because you know, having you um, being willing to to say what you've said and do what you do and and not back down on it uh, when you have a lot more to lose than a lot of other people, I think is incredibly admirable and and an incredibly important voice. Because if you if your voice gets extinguished, then yeah. I don't know who else is out there uh, in that realm. It doesn't exist, and and that's incredibly. important important and you deserve a lot of credit for doing it and uh and so thank you very much for doing that and and um let's keep in touch all right you do the same thing john ziggler thank you my friend all right joe take care that's joe walsh a former republican congressman and uh, at least currently conservative talk show host uh, we appreciate his time very much as is always the case we end the individual one podcast with a current running tabulation of my Chances for Trump to either be removed from office or not to finish up his first term and also to be reelected. Remember, please, no wagering. This is done uh, completely for fun. I would say that the the most significant uh, thing that has occurred over the last couple of days to impact at least one of these numbers is that Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, has announced that he will not run for president either as an independent or as a Democrat, but he will use his enormous wealth, by the way, his real wealth, he could buy and sell Donald Trump uh, in his uh, secondary checking account, uh, that he will use his wealth to try to elect whoever the Democratic nominee is. I think that that hurts Donald Trump's reelection potentially significantly. One, because it it, uh, gets rid of a potential distraction during the general election. I think Bloomberg could have, as an alleged former Republican, could have uh, been confusing to some people. And anything that reshuffles the deck would be good for Trump right now based upon his current standing with voters. So uh, I think that that hurts Trump's reelection situation. It also, by the way, and this might be the really significant element of it, there are those who believe that Bloomberg is not getting in because he believes that former Vice President Joe Biden will get in. And if Joe Biden does get in, as I've said numerous times before, that will really significantly hurt 
uh, Donald Trump's reelection uh, chances. So uh, right now, uh, as of th- this date, I would say that uh, the chances that Donald Trump does not finish out his first term are still very, very low. I would say it's 12 percent. And I'm only going to put his reelection chances at this moment at about 40 percent, although that could go uh, much lower if, in fact, uh, Joe Biden does get into the race. That'll do it for episode number 10 of the Individual One podcast. As is always the case, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. And until our next episode, which is scheduled for this coming weekend, my name is John Ziegler. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Global Story Network. Yeah.